This is Lachlan Rouston. This is Raf Friedman. And you're listening to the fittest podcast in Australia, The Mind Muscle Project. Project, welcome back to a Q&A. So we actually got some really good questions this week and we got some new people asking the questions. So yes, if that is you and you're thinking about asking a question in the future, obviously ask the question, but send it to the Instagram, My Muscle Project. And remember, we can only answer the best kind of four to five questions each week. So if you're gonna have a question, keep it as specific as possible. Don't be like, how to get strong. That is a terrible question. We're not gonna answer it. So specific is better and we got some good ones. So we're gonna, uh, so first question is gonna be around how to tell your members about a price increase. I'm assuming this is coming from more of a, a January time of year. Um, second one is, is joint pain as you age normal? Um, three is tips on getting a coach when you are low on cash, uh, tips for nutrition coaching, uh, becoming a nutrition coach when you don't actually have a qualification and then how to deal with body dysmorphia, something that we are well-versed in. So, um, yeah, let's kick it off. Question number one, Connor. Okay. Ryan Furness, Furness has asked, um, Hey team, just finished episode 1,269. <laughs> Jesus. Fucking hell. <laughs> forgot what we're up to um and we're going to increase our prices next month how do you recommend going about the communication of this to my members um just before we do that this because i've heard 1000 uh, 1269 um should we like this for a question for the less the listeners um not not the people in the in the room should we potentially cull some of our back catalog to make it easier for people to listen because there's another podcast i just started listening to i gave it to you as well raf They've been going for like five, six years um, and it's hard to know where to start and it's a really good show and like do I, how far back do I go and start listening and yeah, it's just a hard thing to track. So I wonder if there's a lot of back catalog that we could probably cull that would make people, I guess, a little bit more engaged in the show if they were to come because it's an intimidating back catalog, right? If you, if you haven't been staying with it for a while. Or I'm just curious if you're like a, a recent listener, like how you've picked up and where you picked up from and started listening from. I mean, maybe we could go from like episode 1,000 onwards. So there's only like 200 episodes. I'm not sure. We'd probably have to look into it, but there's maybe a way to do it. And I would say a lot of that stuff from like way, from like 10 years ago is pretty rubbish at this point. So um, yeah, maybe we could do that for you. Maybe it'd be less intimidating. Maybe there's an easier way to do it, but regardless, we'd want to hear from you. So feel free to message us um, on the Instagram now as you're listening to this. But uh We'll start with this price increase. So uh, we do a price increase every year, an annual one. Raf, um, you're pretty good at this. So how do you like to approach this? Well, we've done this good and bad in the past, that's for sure. So and we've tried a lot. Um, right now, we don't have like auto debits because we charge up front. So it's a little bit different to most gyms, but we've definitely done price increases with auto debits. I said the craziest one we have is when we increased it by 100. When we, like when we doubled the prices coming out of COVID. Out of COVID, yeah. And I'd say from that, we lost like 50% of the members. We've done like 5%, done like the waste of time, 2%. I, I think the, I'll start there. Like, don't go too small with your price increase. Cause if you're going to tell members, you're going to go through the whole thing, at least make it something worthwhile, you know, which I think is like at a minimum 5%, I'd probably just at least go 10%. Cause if, you, if you're going to go through everything, don't increase it by like $3, right? It just makes no sense. I think mean, go for something that's going to make a difference here. And I would just like, obviously it's a bit scary, but in general, almost always price increases leave you better off. If you increase the price by 10% and you leave and you lose 10% of your members over it, you're way better off. Yep. You got the same revenue and you got less clients and then you start bringing in new clients at the new price, right? It's it's almost always better off. Even when we doubled the price and we lost like more than 50% of the members, 
because we started signing up the new members at the higher price, within six months, we were better off than we used to be, right? So you're almost always better off. So I think um, as painful as they can be, like you get some confidence going into it. And then, yeah, it really depends on what your like contracts and all the agreements are with the members. When we had the auto debit, like everyone's getting charged every week type thing, the way we went about it was just an email reiterating like all the positive things we're doing this year, that there's going to be a price increase, how much, and then all the things we plan on doing in the in the next year. And we make it just sound like, yeah, we do it every year. Even if you haven't done this in the past, I would just make it sound like, here we go, another one, and here's all the upgrades coming into the future and allow members to write you back. Uh, I think what I would avoid is like, I think the worst possible scenario would be doing it in a platform where people can reply, like a Facebook oh, group or a WhatsApp that. group. That's what I would do if you just want to like um, torture yourself. Yeah. Some sort of like self-harm. <laughs> That's the way I would go Some about it. Some fucked up thing where you need therapy later. Man, you just do it, do it in a way no one can ever do that. And then, yeah, you know, you're probably going to... I just expect to lose members. If you don't, bonus, but expect to lose members. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the hard part is people like want to do it and not lose any members. That's just how it goes. Why? You're just in the game. Yeah. Yeah, but like sometimes it's a good good way to cut people that like probably not right for the gym anyway. If like 10% increase, uh, let's say you charge 80 bucks a week, right? If $8 a week is enough for someone to leave, then fuck, you need them to leave. You know, if they don't value your service that much. You, what you probably want to do is be in a position where you do a price increase and people say, oh, you know what? I think that's 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 pretty reasonable. In fact, I thought I was getting a pretty good deal for what it yeah. costs right now, you know? So, yeah, if you can, if you're getting that sort of response, like, oh, of course I'll pay more. That means you're delivering more value than what the price is, which is a good and bad thing. It just means you should put your prices up earlier, but yeah, yeah, it's also it's also a good sign. A few other ones I think is uh, never miss a year because you just dig in a hole, right? You go to big ones next year. One we face was always bring up those like legacy members even more if you can. So if you've got like some members that are paying like way less than other members, try and bring them up by more than the 10% because otherwise they're actually getting further apart. Like you need, to, you need to start catching up ground here to try and bring your members, like the OG members that pay less closer together. Uh, and last mistake we've made is don't blame anything on the price rise that like the members don't care about. So like don't mention your rent. Don't mention like... <laughs> shit that they don't care like it is true like yeah all those things have gone up right Wages, like food's rent. gone up like your mortgage has gone up but no one cares about that stuff talk about like the new gym equipment you're bringing in the extra time the coaches are spending on accountability the brand new coach you went and found like talk about the stuff that they care about yeah yeah definitely uh and good luck you'll need it um cool all right next question connor cool okay so joint pain as you age rory turbot has asked is some joint pain just inevitable when training in your late 30s and beyond uh no because i got a shitload of joint pain when i was in my (laughs) 20s uh you get joint pain from like overdoing a certain exercise look yeah maybe the body's not as resilient and we know it's not as resilient as it was um you know from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 but you just need to adapt your training style like there are great athletes in the world you know alexander volkanovsky lebron james these people that are in there kind of over the other side of 35 and still the best in the world, uh, considered the best in the world at their sport. And, you know, I'm sure there's there's niggles and there's pains there and stuff, but they still perform at a super high level. I think you would be naive to think that you can get through all your life training hard and pushing yourself and increasing the weight and increasing the intensity without things, you know, hurting from time to time. The level of joint pain that's acceptable is obviously varies person to person. Some people with a higher pain threshold or have had pain for longer accept a higher level of joint pain. 
and maybe people that very rarely get any joint pain, even the slightest niggle and it's a one out of 10 pain, they find it completely unacceptable. I don't know where you fall on that spectrum, Rory, but just because you're getting older shouldn't mean that you're getting more joint pain necessarily. I would say that it just, if you are, then you probably need to dial in sleep, nutrition more, um, or you need to adjust training load because you're not getting that right. So yeah, you just have to be more dialed on the other aspects of it. Like in your 20s, you can just be more loose with your strength and conditioning and your volume and your nutrition and your sleep because the body is just hasn't taken as much of a beating and your hormones are peaking. But yeah, as you move into your late 30s, then yeah, you just need to be a little bit more dialed on certain things, a little bit smarter with how you train. But it doesn't, yeah, it's not like all of a sudden you wake up and you just have more pain in general than you should. Definitely not. No, and I'm also like, yeah, it is part of training. Well, I think depending on the type of training you're doing, but joint pain is like a great little indicator of like, oh, maybe you're doing too much of this right now or your form's not very good on this or like your training, like the, the tempo you're using with the weights is off on this exercise. Like it actually is a really good little indicator because you tend to get often a little bit of joint pain. And yeah, if you just completely didn't listen to it, push straight through, then you get a major injury. But it's like these nice little indicators to like adjust how you're training or how you're recovering. So can't say that joint pain is all bad. In some ways it can be your friend in the gym. Um, but yeah, I also just think, you know, part of when you get older, you've also just accumulated like more of those injuries. So like you just accumulate like, oh, like I did some damage to my elbow. That's, that's there for life now. And you just, you just got more of them as you get yeah. older, right? So like as they start to accumulate, you got the knee, you got this, yeah, you got more of those things. And that's why like, you know, ex athletes, they just got more of those like old breaks where they had the surgery, like those things have accumulated. So it's not just the age. It's also just like, yeah, you've accumulated some damage along the way, but I think that's pretty cool, right? Like, you know, wants to go to their grave with this fucking pristine body that they didn't do anything with. Well, I mean, I definitely have less joint pain than I had um, 10 years ago when I was training. Not in my late 30s yet, but I can definitely, definitely on the other side of 30 now. And the, um, yeah, like the amount of joint pain I have is significantly less. And that's just because I got smarter with my training. I got smarter with my recovery. So that'd be something to look at. And then also just consider that there are things that, maybe you started doing five years ago that there's no way those issues are going to show up now like maybe there's certain things that you haven't included in your diet there's certain minerals uh there's maybe like a leaky gut there's some kind of maybe autoimmune thing that's in there that has taken time to get worse that you haven't realized you know you, you just pick up small habits that you don't realize like oh i just kind of stopped eating fruit or i just like don't really get the same amount of vegetables i used to get and five six years later you can be pretty depleted in certain minerals so could always like go a bit deeper and dive into your blood work. There might be some stuff that's missing there that's causing like unnecessary inflammation or it's like harder for you to recover. Um, you know, it's the same way that people when they go on like a vegan diet, right? A very food restrictive diet. And then it takes like, you know, a year and a half to two years sometimes for symptoms to show up to be like, oh, like your fucking iron is tanked. It's at mm. zero. Oh, like your vitamin B is tanked. It's like close to zero, you know, but that took time to deplete those minerals. So it could be something like that as well. Uh, and those things are always worth looking into too. You may have started a new job. You may work harder than you did in your 20s. And like you used to get eight hours sleep. Now you get kind of six, six and a half, but you kind of got used to it. But five years at six and a half is going to cause you some serious like joint pain and inflammation. So stuff like that to consider as well, not just the training. Um, all right, nice. Cool. Next question. Number three, uh, Will Braun has asked tips on getting a coach when you're a broke uni student uh, in person versus online. Okay, well, you definitely will struggle to buy someone's time in person because it will always be more expensive than online. Oh, actually, online training is getting pretty expensive. If you, if you Let's say, so you're a broke student. How much money have you got to spend on this? I'd say probably 50 bucks a week. Nah. 
Less. Less? A broke student. Yeah, but it's, but it's really important to you. Like, this dude's jacked in the photo here. He's coming up with what he can come up with. 50, uh, Probably let's, took let's 25. Say let's say 30 bucks a week. Oh, he's got $30. <laughs> 50, 50 is a lot, I reckon, when you're Yeah, yeah. Shit. No, fair enough. Yeah, let's yeah. go. 30 bucks. What are you going to get in person or online? I, and, and we're saying a coach, so not like an app. Ruff's always up for a challenge just to get the max value out of the smallest amount of money. He's, he's your guy here. I'd spend it on a dinner. <laughs> I'd spend 80 bucks on a dinner. Fuck, I forgot I was a student. Oh, tips on getting a coach it. when you're a broke student in person. Dude, AI. Online. Surely ChatGPT can pump out a program for you. Yeah, you I guess your, it's not really a coach. Though. You do your uni assessments on it, do your program on it. <laughs> Isn't there like a... Surely there's like an AI coach you could pay for at this point, which can like coach you through everything. There's that um, RP have an app, which is... Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, I, I, think creates, an, I think an app like that, like a really good training app that is not programmed by a coach. A really, really good... Because if you think about the most important things, you could get a really good training program that I think would be inexpensive here. Let's say like... 10 to $15 a week. And then you could save that extra money and get an in-person session at the frequency that you can afford, which I'm thinking like once every month or every two months. Mm. And that'd be pretty good because the, the in-person training would make sure your technique is really, really dialed in. You're not making some basic mistakes. And then you're following a really good program. And I mean, if you've got excellent technique and you're following a good program, you're doing a lot of the things right. Like, yes, it's maybe not keeping you accountable every day. Maybe the program's not like perfectly individualized from a coach, but great technique solid program like you're a long way there yeah i think it just again it's going to come down to expectation setting right like it's the same as um well yeah here we go we've got the the rp apps on 35 dollars a month you get access to over 45 programs create your own custom programs real-time program adjustment over 250 detailed technique videos build and adjust workouts in a fully equipped commercial gym a bare bones garage gym and everything in between that's pretty good cool so call that eight dollars a week Forget the, forget the US dollars here. So you got an extra $22 a week. So you could, you could save that up and then like every yeah, four or five weeks, get a PT, like a personal training session to just go through like the exercise you're doing in the program. Yeah. That's a pretty good combination. Yeah. I mean, look, I've thought about this as well, right? Because we're basically- Oh shit, you need gym membership. No. <laughs> no, dude, crunch. Yeah, uh, he's saying just uh, for a coach. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming you've got the that, gym covered here. What's that gym um, where if you drop weights, it's- Planet like Fitness. Yeah. Planet Fitness is pretty cheap. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like five bucks a week or something. No, nah, we're assuming you've got a free membership or you're a Planet Fitness here. No, uh, Planet. Planet. Oh, Planet. Planet. Yeah. Oh, in America. Yeah. No, I think they have them here now. Really? Yeah. They yeah, I think they got yeah, some they got them here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Mate, they're killing it, this company. It's doing so well. I mean, no one uses it. It's like a... I hate that purple hair. Yeah, it's just a... It's a gym for people that don't use the gym. Yeah, there you go. 10 bucks a week. Or Classic Weekly, no contract, no. Five bucks a week. I mean, shit, everyone can afford five bucks a week. Annual fee, 40, Man, $39. We can, we can work this into the $30 a week here. Yeah, so we got you covered. So Platinum, uh, Planet Fitness membership. $5. $5 a week. An app, another $8, $8 a week. $8 a week. $13. $13. And then you save the remainder of your money, that extra $17 a week, and you save it up for a personal training session, which we assume is like $100 or something Yeah. every like five weeks. That's how you do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously adjust your expectations, right? You're going to get not like Raf saying not the most personalized thing not the perfect program this not the best coach but it's a starting point you're a student you've got the rest of your life to make money and afford better things and why just jump to the finish line when you want to you know enjoy the the kind of journey on the way and then you know laugh and talk about the time that you were on these apps and 
in this like cheap gym and that gives you a good story rather than be like, I went to locker room from day one. Like it's not, not as fun. So. Also, I think if you're, if you're a broke student, like you shouldn't need daily accountability to go to your gym. Yeah, 100%. Like, you haven't got that many distractions. You should be able to fucking get to the gym. Yeah, no partner, no kids, yeah. no mortgage, no worries, bro. You're good. You're, good. you're in the best part of your life right now. Zero responsibilities. Um, you don't even have to finish your degree if you don't want to, but you do have to pay the debt. Um, okay, Connor, next question. Uh, Blake.Withers has asked, how do you manage with giving nutrition advice without the qualification? For example, a dietitian. Okay, so I'm going to assume Blake here is giving out nutrition advice or people want nutrition advice from him and they he, he isn't qualified, so he feels like he can't give it potentially or maybe he doesn't know what his parameters are with what he can recommend. So to give people a little bit of insight, the definitions. So the definition of a nutritionist is pretty broad. Like, do you even have to... You can just call yourself a nutritionist, right? No, no. Oh, you, you do have to, to get yeah, certified. You do have to get certified. Okay, so but like, it's really So, like, nutrition level one is okay. nutritionist. There's quite a few, not like any course, but there's quite a few courses where you can be a nutritionist. And it's like, a, you can do it online and yeah, you yeah, can yeah. take like, what, four or five weeks or something. You don't need to go to like a formal university school or anything like that. So, that's diet. That's dietetics. That's that's becoming a dietitian. A dietitian yes. is a bachelor's degree, right? Which is, yep. I think, at least three or maybe four years to become a dietitian. So, where the scope of a dietitian begins and where a nutritionist ends at the lowest end of the threshold it's prescribing meal plans so technically nutritionists actually can't give out meal plans they can't actually tell you what foods to to eat although they do that's fine but technically they shouldn't um although yeah we we do it's completely fine i think where you really want to start drawing the line is around metabolic disease um so and autoimmune conditions so when people present with like i have hashimoto's or i have vasculitis or i have um crohn's disease all these things that are food can heavily affect the intensity and the symptoms of the condition that's really where a dietitian should come in i mean they probably work with a lot more diabetics that's probably the most common autoimmune disease i think it is the most common autoimmune disease in the world so like uh diabetics are much better suited to go with dietitians just because they've studied the um the autoimmune conditions and understand the conditions from like a medical perspective. So they're a lot more qualified to prescribe diet advice to it. You don't want to have an autoimmune condition and then go speak to a nutritionist about what foods to eat. Like, cause they're just going to look on the internet about like what foods can people with Crohn's disease eat or not eat. So go to a dietitian for that. Outside of that, if you're like relatively healthy and it's just like a body composition goal that you want, you just want to feel, have more energy A nutritionist is like perfectly fine. So if people are coming to you and they kind of fit in that category, which is like, you know, 95% of people, you're perfectly qualified to give them nutrition advice. When someone comes to your autoimmune condition, I would say refer out to a dietitian. Uh, and then also I'd, I'd throw on pregnancy in there as well. Like if someone's pregnant and they want to like, go, what foods can I not eat? What foods can I eat? Or I'm feeling sick when I eat these foods, that foods, I think a, a dietitian's more qualified as well. Yeah, I mean, the nutritionist is usually, I mean, they're helping you essentially hit the macros towards your goal you might not count calories although like obviously that's a really good idea but they might just like show you different ways like whether it's meal delivery or like how to portion control to like hit or you know choose these foods like these proteins over carbs just to generally get you towards your macronutrient goals and i think people that think like oh no you need a university degree otherwise like it's dangerous like that's stupid like if, if um, the only real danger can be if they're trying to get you to stay in like a really big deficit for too long but if you're just like doing you know normal deficits normal maintenance normal small surpluses I mean, that's great. Like you just, you actually don't need to go to university for that. It's just 
great nutrition coaching and that can get a lot of people to where they want to be with their body as long as you're just staying away from like yeah like the real like medical conditions you're good yeah yeah absolutely um okay cool and then last question Jaden underscore few has asked how do you deal with body dysmorphia yeah so i mean there's a few ways to think about body dysmorphia um the way that i have had it in the past and presented was as a lot of the legacy listeners of the show know i was severely underweight as a teenager and so um i used the gym obviously as a way to kind of build muscle gain weight build more confidence but i think that where the body's dysmorphia comes into it is that even like and, and like not being at you know not having any muscle and then also being overweight and feeling like you want to change that that's not body dysmorphia that's just like yeah you're really skinny and you want to gain weight to build more confidence that's fine you're, that is um that's overweight. called 2020 vision you're looking in the mirror and you can see you're overweight that's accurate vision <laughs> yeah that's that's reality you're facing up to reality and there's nothing wrong with that body dysmorphia happens when you you know quote unquote are no longer that particular body type you know i've gained basically 30 kilos since i've started lifting and probably only grown one and a half inches um but you still feel exactly the same way that you feel you when you look in the mirror you still see the same body essentially that you did when you started um so dis meaning like um dysphoria like un uh like under the illusion that you're not exactly what reality is so at this point you know the more extreme examples are like bulimia and um anorexia where they they feel like they're fat obviously they're very skinny and be like the same way where i'm like you know, I can say I'm slim now or whatever in certain contexts, but if I said I'm so skinny, I have no muscle, that would be body dysmorphia because people are like, well, clearly not. And you'd be like, no, no, but I'm so skinny. Look at my arms. They'd be like, well, not really. And I wouldn't say all bodybuilders, but I would say a lot of bodybuilders have body dysmorphia, right? They think that they're too small or they're not lean enough or they're not shredded enough and they pick out the tiniest bit of body fat on their stomach or their arms or their, their hips and they, i got to get leaner and you look at them and you're like you are like eight percent body fat you're nine percent body fat you have so much muscle you can't even run because your legs are chafed like that they're at this point where they're they have a psychological condition um so that is really the definition of body dysmorphia and i guess it like it swings in all directions right so whether like you're too fat and then you, you get skinny and then you still think you're fat or you think you're too skinny and you don't have enough muscle and then you have heaps of muscle and you still think you're skinny you can cut it any way it's just literally you're under the illusion that you're still the way you were when you started um and it works really well in the beginning that's the thing because it's like the distaste that you have for yourself or like the embarrassment is like really powerful fuel to for change and like we've seen that in clients i've seen it in myself um it works it works really well up until a point and then it becomes body dysmorphia and then it becomes dysfunctional then it becomes like destructive to your you know social situations to your life if you're obsessing about steps obsessing about macros you know you've done those you've obsessed about those things to make the change you've made the change now you can go into like a you know a slower change phase or more of a maintenance phase um you know if you looked at where you are now from where you started and you spoke to that person would you be happy be, oh man my life would be changed i'd be static if i look like that be like well imagine if you look like that and you're still just as miserable as you are now would you still do it you'd be like huh why am i still miserable it's like because you have body dysmorphia and now you have some other issue to address 
again, this is not super common, but I still think it's more common than people think. Um, and I'll still catch myself doing it every now and then, but it's pretty few and far between, but it might be an instance where, I don't know, maybe I watch a little bit too much Instagram or a little bit too much bodybuilding or I hang out with someone that's significantly stronger and bigger than me. And then for a while I go, oh, I'm actually a little skinny bitch and like I should put on a heap of weight. And then I start thinking about ways to gain heaps of weight. And then I think to myself, oh, I just can't be bothered to do that. Um, whereas, you know, if it was like constant body dysmorphia, I guess I would feel like in a constant state of that and I would always be overeating and I would always be training. And I, I somewhat graduated out of that. So I guess your question obviously is on how you deal with it. Um, I think it's just like any change process, right? So you have to be aware that you have it. I think mean, that's the first part. And I think a lot of people aren't aware. They're like mm. fucking like so big and so shredded and have no idea that they are that way and that they, they believe they're not. And like that awareness is, is the first part. Um, the second part I would say is you know, you probably start having to change some behaviors. I think the, one of the, I guess this, maybe not body dysmorphia, but I guess somewhat related was when we took our training sessions from like 20 hours a week to half, probably 10 hours a week. I was like, I'm going to get, I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to get fat. I'm going to get weak. Um, and nothing changed. And I was like, oh, okay, I've just halved my volume and like nothing has changed. And that was a scary jump because you were like, I'm doing all this training. If I stop, like my body's just going to melt down and like virtually nothing changed. So there's probably some drastic changes you would need to make. Oh, I guess, are there any dysfunctional areas of your life or any habits or routines that you would love to change? Change them and see what happens. And like, it's probably not going to be as worse, as bad as your worst fear. If you went from like counting every single macro and then you counted absolutely nothing, you ate like shit. Well, then obviously things are going to change. But if it just means like, putting down the MyFitnessPal app and deleting it for a month and just eating what's in front of you and trying to make good choices and trying to kind of eyeball everything, probably nothing's going to change, right? If you go for a 5K run every single day because you're worrying about getting fat and you just change that to 10,000 steps, you'll be fine. You're like, you probably not be as good as running, but you're not going to get fat. So things like that can change. And I think that slowly chips away at the belief of like, ah, oh, okay, like, maybe I don't have to build all these insane habits like I used to or keep all these insane habits and routines like I used to because my body will adapt and it will still look good and be healthy. And then I think it's just a gradual process. It's like not going to change overnight. Um, sometimes asking for other people's opinions can be good as well. Just saying like, hey, do you think I'm skinny? They're like, absolutely not. You're huh? Because I think that way. They're like, well, you're not. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Or people start calling, oh, you're actually pretty big guy. Yeah, what? I was always the small guy. Yeah. I was like, oh, dude, you're really skinny now. It's like, oh, I always used to be the big guy. So asking other people's opinions can like maybe sometimes be revealing. But yeah, I think it's a slow process. It's a long process. But yeah, it starts with the awareness and then small changes. Yeah, I mean, how's the thing about, I mean, I don't really know much about dysmorphia, but in terms of what I find more demotivating with this type of thing, it's usually, it's peers that I find the most. So if you had, like, if you're looking, if I'm watching like Mr. Olympia, for me, that's like, there's like no comparison, right? I was looking at it, I'm like, this is just pure entertainment. And if it's a training video, inspiration, right? There's like, almost never do I look at a Ronnie Coleman video and just go, man, I suck. I was looking at my, I was hit the gym. This is sick, right? There's like nothing about it. And then I also find, you know, really motivating is like self-comparison. So anytime you're like comparing to what you did in the past, obviously, if you like haven't improved, it's just like, yeah, you actually haven't improved. And that is reality. And then you can change that and that can be motivating. And then so can obviously the most motivating is looking back in the past and seeing how far you've come. 
you know so often it's like just fun to look back at a really old photo like, holy shit like we were tiny back then that's that's crazy like, and i find that you know that is really really good for most people so like the inspiration and then the self the one that usually doesn't work very well is your peers and that's you i think often what can get people down more because your peers like if they're just now like all of a sudden look better than you or a little bit then like yeah that is like gets you down and you don't really get maybe the same inspiration that looking at someone at the top of the game can get and then that's i think sometimes where it can throw people off in terms of their motivation so potentially bring back some like genuine self-comparison where you're like actually looking back to where you were previously and if you've made improvements then hopefully that gives you a lot of motivation and you know like wow i really have come far like maybe you're not satisfied with with where you're at but I've always found like looking back and seeing some sort of improvement, even just slight, is one of the best feelings you can get when it comes to physical training. Yeah, I also think um, even though you said like, yeah, it's not in the realms of possibility of Mr. Olympia, there is like a lot of stuff on Instagram that's pretty toxic as well. I think that falls closer for me into the peers bucket. Right, okay. When you're saying like, because you don't know them, they're not famous, they're not at the Mr. Olympia yeah. And they're like, they're not as big as Ronnie Coleman. I think it just edges, obviously on all on a scale, you're edging towards the peer scale there. And I think that's like, can get a lot of people down. Yeah, yeah. It's the comparison to someone that's close to you in like demographic, but then completely not like you at all because they take a ton of trend and testosterone and they're 21. Um, So yeah, just be careful with your inputs as well is is the takeaway. So hopefully that was helpful. Guys, as always, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Please send us your questions, the Mind Muscle Project on Instagram, and we'll answer the best four to five every single week. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll speak to you all on the next episode.